Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. by Snoozecast. In the first half, we learn about the Little Mermaid and her family. The Little Mermaid saves a handsome prince from drowning at sea and falls in love with him from afar. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. your body into the softness of your bed. she observed them. She wished more and more to be able to wander about with those whose world seemed to be so much larger than her own. They could fly over the sea in ships and mount the high hills which were far above the clouds. And the lands they possessed, their woods and their fields, stretched far away beyond the reach of her sight. There was so much that she wished to know, but her sisters were unable to answer all her questions. 
She then went to her old grandmother, who knew all about the upper world, which she rightly called the lands above the sea. If human beings are not drowned, asked the little mermaid, can they live forever? Do they never die, as we do here in the sea? Yes, replied the old lady. They must also die, and their term of life is even shorter than ours. We sometimes live for three hundred years, but when we cease to exist here, we become foam on the surface of the water. Human beings, on the contrary, have souls which live forever. They rise up through the clear, pure air beyond the glittering stars. As we rise out of the water and behold all the land of the earth, so do they rise to unknown and glorious regions which we shall never see. Why have we not immortal souls? asked the little mermaid mournfully. I would gladly give all the hundreds of years that I have to live to be a human being only for one day and to have the hope of knowing the happiness of that glorious world above the stars. You must not think that, said the old woman. We believe that we are much happier and much better off than human beings. Is there anything I can do to win an immortal soul? asked the little mermaid. No, said the old woman, unless you were to fall in love with a man who loved you in return, and you were to marry. Then you would obtain a share in the future happiness of mankind. But this can never happen. Your fish's tail, which among us is considered so beautiful, on earth is thought to be quite ugly. They do not know any better, and they think it necessary in order to be handsome to have two stout props, which they call legs. Then the little mermaid sighed and looked sorrowfully at her fish's tail. Let us be happy, said the old lady, and dart and spring about during the three hundred years that we have to live, which is really quite long enough. After that, we can rest ourselves all the better. This evening, we are going to have a court ball. It was one of those splendid sights which we can never see on earth. The walls and the ceiling of the large ballroom were of thick but transparent crystal. Many hundreds of colossal shells, some of a deep red, others of a grass green, with blue fire in them, stood in rows on each side. These lighted up the whole salon and shone through the walls so that the sea was also illuminated. Innumerable fishes, great and small, swam past the crystal walls. On some of them the scales glowed with a purple brilliance, and on others shone with silver and gold. 
Through the halls flowed a broad stream, and in it danced the mermen and the mermaids to the music of their own sweet singing. No one on earth has such lovely voices as they, but the little mermaid sang more sweetly than all. The whole court applauded her with hands and tails, and for a moment her heart felt quite gay, for she knew she had the sweetest voice either on earth or in the sea. But soon she thought again of the world above her. She could not forget the charming prince, nor her sorrow that she had not an immortal soul like his. She crept away silently out of her father's palace, and while everything within was gladness and song, she sat in her own little garden, sorrowful and alone. Then she heard the bugle sounding through the water and thought, He is certainly sailing above, he in whom my wishes center and in whose hands I should like to place the happiness of my life. I will venture all for him and to win an immortal soul. While my sisters are dancing in my father's palace, I will go to the sea witch, of whom I have always been so much afraid. She can give me counsel and help. Then the little mermaid went out from her garden and took the road to the foaming whirlpools behind which the sorceress lived. She had never been that way before. Neither flowers nor grass grew there. Nothing but bare, gray, sandy ground stretched out of the whirlpool, where the water, like foaming mill wheels, seized everything that came within its reach and cast it into the fathomless deep. Through the midst of these whirlpools, the little mermaid was obliged to pass before she could reach the dominions of the sea witch. Then, for a long distance, the road lay across a stretch of warm, bubbling mire, called by the witch her turf moor. Beyond this was the witch's house, which stood in the center of a strange forest where all the trees and flowers were polypi, half animal and half plant. The little mermaid came very near turning back, but she thought of the prince and of the human soul for which she longed, and her courage returned. She fastened her long, flowing hair round her head so that the polypi should not lay hold of it. She crossed her hands on her bosom and then darted forward as a fish shoots through the water between the supple fingers of the polypi, which were stretched out on each side of her. She now came to a space of marshy ground in the wood where a house stood built 
world of the bones of shipwrecks. There sat the sea witch, allowing a toad to eat from her mouth, just as people sometimes feed a canary with pieces of sugar. She called the water snakes her little chickens and allowed them to crawl in her lap. I know what you want, said the sea witch, though it will bring you to sorrow, my pretty princess. You want to get rid of your fish's tail and to have two supports instead, like human beings on earth, so that the young prince may fall in love with you. And then the witch laughed so loud that the toad and the snakes fell to the ground and lay there, wriggling. You are but just in time, said the witch, for after sunrise tomorrow, I should not be able to help you till the end of another year. I will prepare a draft for you, with which you must swim to land tomorrow before sunrise. Seat yourself there and drink it. Your tail will then disappear and shrink up into what men call legs. You will still have the same floating gracefulness of movement, and no dancer will ever tread so lightly. Yes, said the little princess in a trembling voice, as she thought of the prince and the immortal soul. But think again, said the witch, for once your shape has become like a human, you can no more be a mermaid. You will never return through the water to your sister's or to your father's palace again. And if you do not win the love of the prince, then you will never have an immortal soul. The first morning after he marries another, you will become foam on the crest of the waves. I will do it, said the little mermaid, as her face grew pale. But I must be paid also said the witch, and it is not a trifle that I ask. You have the sweetest voice of any who dwell here in the depths of the sea, and you believe that you will be able to charm the prince with it. But this voice you must give to me. The best thing you possess will I have as the price of my costly draft. But if you take away my voice, said the little mermaid, what is left for me? Your beautiful form, your graceful walk, and your expressive eyes. Surely with these you can enchain a man's heart. Well, have you lost your courage? It shall be, said the little mermaid. Then... The witch placed her cauldron on the fire to prepare the magic draft. Cleanliness is a good thing, said she, scouring the vessel with snakes, which she had tied together in a large knot. Then she pricked herself on the chest 
and let the black blood drip into the cauldron. The steam that rose twisted itself into such shapes that no one could look at them. Every moment the witch threw a new ingredient into the vessel, and when it began to boil, the sound was like the weeping of a crocodile. When at last the magic draft was ready, it looked like the clearest water. There it is for you, said the witch. So the mermaid passed quickly through the wood and the marsh and between the rushing whirlpools. She saw that in her father's palace, the torches in the ballroom were extinguished and that all within were asleep. She stole into the garden, took a flower from the flower bed of each of her sisters, kissed her hand towards the palace a thousand times, and then rose up through the dark blue waters. The sun had not risen when she came in sight of the prince's palace and approached the beautiful marble steps, but the moon shone clear and bright. Then the little mermaid drank the magic draft. She fell into a swoon and lay like one dead. When the sun rose and shone over the sea, she recovered and before her stood the handsome young prince. He fixed his coal-black eyes upon her so earnestly that she cast down her own and then became aware that her fish's tail was gone and that she had as pretty a pair of white legs and feet as any little maiden could have. But she had no clothes, so she wrapped herself in her long, thick hair. The prince asked who she was and when she came. She looked at him mildly and sorrowfully with her deep blue eyes, but could not speak. He took her by the hand and led her to the palace. Before her stood the handsome young prince. She moved at the prince's side as lightly as a bubble, so that he and all who saw her wondered at her graceful, swaying movements. She was very soon arrayed in costly robes of silk and muslin and was the most beautiful creature in the palace. Beautiful royal servants, dressed in silk and gold, stepped forward and sang before the prince and his royal parents. One sang better than all the others, and the prince clapped his hands and smiled at her. This was a great sorrow to the little mermaid, for she knew how much more sweetly she herself once could sing, and she thought, Oh, 
If he could only know that I have given away my voice forever to be with him. The servants next perform some pretty fairy-like dances to the sound of beautiful music. Then the little mermaid raised her lovely white arms, stood on the tips of her toes, glided over the floor, and danced as no one yet had been able to dance. At each moment, her beauty was more revealed, and her expressive eyes appealed more directly to the heart than the songs of the servants. Everyone was enchanted, especially the prince, who called her his little foundling. The prince said she should remain with him always, and she was given permission to sleep at his door on a velvet cushion. He had a page's dress made for her that she might accompany him on horseback. They rode together through the sweet, scented woods, where the green boughs touched their shoulders and the little birds sang among the fresh leaves. She climbed with him to the tops of high mountains, and although her tender feet bled so that even her steps were marked, she only smiled and followed him till they could see the clouds beneath them, like a flock of birds flying to distant lands. While at the prince's palace, and when all the household were asleep, she would go and sit on the broad marble steps, for it eased her newly created feet to bathe them in the cold sea water. It was then that she thought of all those below in the deep. Once during the night, her sisters came up arm in arm, singing sorrowfully as they floated on the water. She beckoned to them, and they recognized her and told her how she had grieved them. After that, they came to the same place every night. Once she saw in the distance her old grandmother, who had not been to the surface of the sea for many years, and the old sea king, her father, with his crown on his head. They stretched out their hands towards her, but did not venture so near the land as her sisters had. As the days passed, she loved the prince more dearly, and he loved her as one would love a little child. The thought never came to him to make her his wife. Yet unless he married her, she could not receive an immortal soul, and on the morning after his marriage with another, she would dissolve into the foam of the sea. Do you not love me the best of them all? The eyes of the little mermaid seemed to say when he took her in his arms and kissed her fair forehead. Yes, you are dear to me, said the prince, for you have the best heart 
and you are the most devoted to me. You are like a young maiden whom I once saw, but whom I shall never meet again. I was in a ship that was wrecked, and the waves cast me ashore near a holy temple where several young maidens performed the service. The youngest of them found me on the shore and saved my life. I saw her but twice, and she's the only one in the world whom I could love. But you are like her, and you have almost driven her image from my mind. She belongs to the holy temple, and good fortune has sent you to me in her stead. We will never part. Ah, he knows not that it was I who saved him, thought the little mermaid. I carried him over the sea to the wood where the temple stands. I sat beneath the foam and watched till the human beings came to help him. I saw the pretty maiden that he loves better than he loves me. The mermaid sighed deeply, but she could not weep. He says the maiden belongs to the holy temple. Therefore, she will never return to the world. They will meet no more. I am by his side and see him every day. I will take care of him and love him and give up my life for his sake. Very soon, it was said that the prince was to marry and that the beautiful daughter of a neighboring king would be his wife, for a fine ship was being fitted out. Although the prince gave out that he intended merely to pay a visit to the king, it was generally supposed that he went to court the princess. A great company were to go with him. The little mermaid smiled and shook her head. She knew the prince's thoughts better than any of the others. I must travel, he had said to her. I must see this beautiful princess. My parents desire it, but they will not oblige me to bring her home as my bride. I cannot love her because she is not like the beautiful maiden in the temple whom you resemble. If I were forced to choose a bride, I would choose you, my foundling, with those expressive eyes. Then he kissed her rosy mouth, played with her long, waving hair, and laid his head on her heart while she dreamed of human happiness and an immortal soul. You are not afraid of the sea, my dear, are you? He said, as they stood on the deck of the noble ship, which was to carry them to the country of the neighboring king. Then he told her of storm and of calm, of strange fishes in the deep beneath them, and of what the divers had seen there. She smiled at his descriptions, for she knew better than anyone what wonders were at the bottom of the sea. In the moonlit night, 
when all on board were asleep except the man at the helm, she sat on the deck, gazing down through the clear water. She thought she could distinguish her father's castle, and upon it her aged grandmother, with the silver crown on her head, looking through the rushing tide at the keel of the vessel. Then her sisters came up on the waves and gazed at her mournfully, wringing their white hands. She beckoned to them and smiled and wanted to tell them how happy and well off she was. But the cabin boy approached and when her sisters dived down, he thought what he saw was only the foam of the sea. The next morning, the ship sailed into the harbor of a beautiful town belonging to the king whom the prince was going to visit. The church bells were ringing, and the high towers sounded a flourish of trumpets. Soldiers with flying colors and glittering bayonets lined the roads through which they passed. Every day was a festival, balls and entertainments following one another. But the princess had not yet appeared. People said that she had been brought up and educated in a religious house where she was learning every royal virtue. At last she came. Then the little mermaid, who was anxious to see whether she was really beautiful, was obliged to admit that she had never seen a more perfect vision of beauty. Her skin was delicate, and beneath her long, dark eyelashes, her laughing blue eyes shone with truth and purity. It was you, said the prince, who saved my life when I lay as if dead on the beach. And he folded his blushing bride in his arms. Oh, I am too happy, said he to the little mermaid. My fondest hopes are now fulfilled. You will rejoice at my happiness, for your devotion to me is great and sincere. The little mermaid kissed his hand and felt as if her heart were already broken. His wedding morning would cause her to transform into the foam of the sea. All the church bells rang, and the heralds rode through the town, proclaiming the betrothal. Perfumed oil was burned in costly silver lamps on every altar. The priests waved the censers, while the bride and the bridegroom joined their hands and received the blessing of the bishop. The little mermaid, dressed in silk and gold, held up the bride's train, but her ears heard nothing of the festive music, and her eyes saw not the holy ceremony but her own fate.
On the same evening, the bride and bridegroom went on board the ship. Cannons were roaring, flags waving, and in the center of the ship, a costly tent of purple and gold had been erected. It contained elegant sleeping couches for the bridal pair during the night. The ship, under a favorable wind, with swelling sails, glided away smoothly and lightly over the calm sea. When it grew dark, a number of colored lamps were lighted, and the sailors danced merrily on the deck. The little mermaid could not help thinking of her first rising out of the sea when she had seen similar joyful festivities. So she too joined in the dance, poised herself in the air as a swallow when he pursues his prey, and all present cheered her wonderingly. She had never danced so gracefully before. She knew this was the last evening she should ever see the prince for whom she had forsaken her kindred and her home. This was the last evening that she should breathe the same air with him or gaze on the starry sky and the deep sea. All was joy and gaiety on the ship until long after midnight. The prince kissed his beautiful bride, and she played with his raven hair till they went arm in arm to rest in the sumptuous tent. Then all became still on board the ship, and only the pilot, who stood at the helm, was awake. The little mermaid leaned her white arms on the edge of the vessel and looked towards the east for the first blush of morning. She saw her sisters rising out of the flood. They were as pale as she, but their beautiful hair no longer waved in the wind. It had been cut off. We have given our hair to the witch, said they, to obtain help for you, that you may stay a mermaid. She has given us another potion. If you get the prince to take it, he will leave his new bride for you. Before the sun rises, you must make him drink it. Haste, then. Our old grandmother mourns so for you, that her white hair is falling, as ours fell under the witch's scissors. Hasten, do you not see the first red streaks in the sky? In a few minutes the sun will rise, and you turn to foam. Then they sighed deeply and mournfully, and sank back beneath the waves. The little mermaid drew back the crimson curtain of the tent and beheld the fair bride, whose head was resting 
peacefully on the prince's breast. She bent down and kissed his noble brow, then looked at the sky, on which the rosy dawn grew brighter and brighter. She glanced at the vial of potion and again fixed her eyes upon the prince, who in his sleep whispered the name of his bride in his dreams. She was in his thoughts, and the vial trembled in the hand of the little mermaid, but she flung it far from her into the waves. She cast one more lingering, half-fainting glance at the prince, then threw herself from the ship into the sea and felt her body dissolving into sea foam. The sun rose above the waves and his warm rays fell on the foam of the little mermaid. She saw the bright sun and hundreds of transparent beautiful creatures floating around her. She could see through them the white sails of the ships and the red clouds of the sky. Their speech was melodious but could not be heard by mortal ears just as their bodies could not be seen by mortal eyes. The little mermaid perceived that she had a body like theirs and that she continued to rise higher and higher out of the foam. Where am I? asked she, like the voices of those who were with her. No earthly music could imitate it. Among the daughters of the air, answered one of them. A mermaid has not an immortal soul, nor can she obtain one unless she wins the love of a human being. On the will of another hangs her internal destiny. But the daughters of the air, although they do not possess an immortal soul, can, by their good deeds, procure one for themselves. We fly to warm countries and cool the sultry air. We carry the perfume of the flowers to spread health and restoration. After we have striven for hundreds of years, three hundred in fact, to do all the good in our power, we receive an immortal soul and take part in the happiness of mankind. You, poor little mermaid, have tried with your whole heart to do as we are doing. You have suffered and endured and raised yourself to the spirit world by your good deeds. And now, by striving for three hundred years in the same way, you may obtain an immortal soul. The little mermaid lifted her glorified eyes 
toward the sun, and, for the first time, felt them filling with tears. On the ship in which she had left the prince, there were life and noise, and she saw him and his beautiful bride searching for her. Sorrowfully, they gazed at the pearly foam as if they knew she had thrown herself into the waves. Unseen, she kissed the forehead of the bride and fanned the prince and then mounted with the other children of the air to a rosy cloud that floated above.